Welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues. Uh, this is Karen Tate, and uh, this is Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I want to thank you for tuning in today. And uh, if you're a regular, you've noticed that uh, the regular Wednesday show uh, is now changed. Um, uh, in the short term, moving forward, uh, you can probably best look for the show on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Um, for the, I don't know, maybe for the next month or two. We'll see how it goes. Uh, long story, you don't care about the details. Uh, you know, just uh, uh, wanted to make you aware of that so you know how to find the show. Uh, however, I, as I keep saying, if you click the follow button on the show page, you will get a reminder in your email inbox, and that sure makes it easier. So, uh, new music today. Uh, uh, reclaiming some um, uh, fireside uh, chance is uh, where it comes from. Uh, and this was We Are the Power in Everyone. Um, hope you like that. Uh, they have some great uh, chants that are designed to uh, raise energy and, uh, um, you know, and, and bring people together uh, to you know, accomplish good things. So that was uh, Reclaiming's uh, Fireside or Campsite Chance, uh, We Are the Power in Everyone. So um, if you're like me, uh, I'm sure life has changed drastically for you. And, um, you know, I am so happy to hear from those of you who have said the show is uh, a sanctuary for you. Uh, it's a place to escape from um, everything that's going on in the news and out there in the world. And I thank you for uh, that feedback. Uh, it does make a difference. Um, we have been sheltered in since the end of April. Uh, I'm here in California, and we started a bit early. Uh, we're having food delivered for the most part uh, because, uh, um, you know, we are uh, concerned about my husband's health. And uh, it's, it's really crazy, you know. Uh, food gets delivered, thank God, for Amazon. Uh, I sure hate the company and Jeff Bezos, but um, if we didn't have Amazon, we would be in dire straits. Uh, the food gets delivered on the porch. Uh, I go out there with my alcohol wipes and wipe it all down. Um, we have a local restaurant who, to stay in business, uh, has been delivering boxes of food. Uh, you know, that's how we get our fresh stuff. Uh, same thing. You know, they deliver it. I'm outside on the porch with my gloves uh, and my alcohol wipes, wiping everything down, uh, take the vegetables into the kitchen sink, wash it with soap and water. Uh, you know, but what else do I have to do? <laughs> Um, I, I do wish I could get myself motivated uh, to do something besides my radio show and read books and, uh, and wash uh, food and groceries, though. Um, you know, so I, anyway, I'm working on uh, shifting my attention to doing some productive things like uh, maybe starting a new book. Uh, on that topic, I keep, uh, um, you know, yammering about, uh, you know, how we normalize abuse and exploitation. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I keep saying I'm going to drag out those uh, Tai Chi and chair yoga tapes and do those in the morning, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I'm probably like most of you. I'm living in my pajamas and my sweatpants. Uh, so if that gives you any uh, feelings of camaraderie, um, there it is. Uh, take it. Uh, you, you're welcome. Uh, I know when I watch uh, Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert on television at night, uh, it's almost comforting to see uh, how other people are managing through this. You know, uh, it is a new normal for now. So anyway, let's uh, go ahead and uh, get to today's show. Um, I am so glad to have with me uh, Nicholas Pearson. And we're going to be talking about Crystal Basics and uh, Stones of the Goddess, uh, two of his books. Uh, we've not actually talked about this in all the years I've been doing the show here. So I'm really glad for this uh, fresh new idea. And, you know, I have to admit, you know, um, I have friends who are really into crystals and stones, um, and I have not been a whole heck of a lot. Uh, you know, I, I am going to leave it to Nicholas today to um, inform me 
you know, why these stones really have power and um, uh, how, of course, you know, we can use them to uh, improve our quality of life. So, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, stones and crystals. Uh, So we're going to delve into all things rocks today. Uh, We'll discover what makes crystals so effective in healing, how it's done, how to choose the right stone for the right job. Uh, And, uh, you know, there are goddess stones, which uh, I didn't know, although... You know, I think about opals being moonstones and that being a goddess stone. I, you know, I, I did think about that. Um, so we're going to uh, learn all about this. Uh, he'll tell us the five essential crystals uh, to have in our healing toolkit, how to incorporate crystals in our life, and, and lots more. So uh, before we start, let me tell you more about him and his credentials. Uh, uh, Nicholas Pearson, uh, he's been immersed in all aspects of the mineral kingdom for more than 20 years. Uh, He began teaching crystal workshops in high school, uh, later studying mineral science at Stetson University uh, while pursuing a degree in music. Uh, He worked for several years at the Gillespie Museum, home to the largest mineral collection in the southern United States, Uh, a certified teacher and practitioner of Usui maybe, Reiki, uh, Ryoho. Uh, He teaches crystal and Reiki classes throughout the United States, and he lives in Orlando, Florida. Um, Nicholas, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much for having me on the air. It's a a delight to join you today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, especially thank you for our uh, changes in schedule. Uh, I, I really do appreciate that. Um, so, uh, again, you know, you have uh, Stones of the Goddess, which is out and published uh, by Inner Traditions, and you also have Crystal Basics. Um, and I want to mention your website, too. Um, it's called TheLuminousPearl.com, TheLuminousPearl.com. Um, so, so, Nicholas, convince me. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just a little bit of a skeptic. Uh, some of my best friends use stones. Uh, I know a lot of the sacred sites. Um, you know, a lot of the stones that they're built with are quartz. And I believe those, um, you know, they're supposed to do something with electromagnetism and all of that. Um, You know, we're even hearing now that the pyramids were maybe uh, amplifiers of energy, stuff like that. So, you know, I'm definitely open, um, but I'm not totally sold yet. Um, So so tell me, um, you know, how does this work? How do stones actually help us heal? Uh, You know, what makes crystals uh, particularly so effective? Why don't we start there? Sure. Um, You know, for starters, I think we have to narrow the scope of this to just describing the models that use energies we can map out, that we can measure on the electromagnetic spectrum. Of course, there are are spiritual energies that are out there that science has no way of measuring just yet. And so I will will leave that to your personal experience. Anyone who's listening, I'm sure if you've held a crystal and felt that that magical vibe, that's not necessarily the kind of energy we're talking about here. But, you know, all things that have form create these sort of electromagnetic fields around them. Anything that, that vibrates produces one of these fields of energy. So it stands to reason that that energy will reflect um, what the material is made from, how it is formed, what its current state is. So for things like you and me, these these wonderful objects we inhabit called our bodies, um, we have a very incoherent energy field, you know, and necessarily so. Your, Your liver has a different function and a different makeup than your lungs or your feet. So they're going to produce slightly different frequencies. And so the sort of net sum of this biomagnetic sheath, this, this field of energy around our body, is in a state of constant flux. If we compare that to something like a crystal, on the other hand, crystals have a very coherent structure. Their chemical composition, their structure, their formation process are all going to be very rigid and precise and orderly. And it is this order that is the hallmark of the state of crystallinity. So it's almost like the occult axiom, as above, so below. If we have this really regular, ordered, precise composition and structure at the material level, we similarly have a very coherent energy field at the electromagnetic level. 
And when we introduce an energy field like that into our own energy field, it kind of teaches us or entrains us to be more coherent, more crystalline ourselves. And as we affect those changes on the energetic scale, it begins to alter things like mood and perception. Um, there are plenty of studies that have looked at like the, the influence of coherence at, at the electromagnetic level on heart rate, on breathing, on brainwave, and how that interacts with our um, you know, neurological transmitters, our biochemical and electrical transmitters that are in the body, that begins to transcend whatever our current pathology might be. So we start with that energy, kind of works its way down through the, the psyche and ends up in our physical body. So there is a model by which crystals can actually have a measurable influence over our physiological well-being. Wow. Well, is um, this incoherence in our energy body, is that why um, sometimes, you know, our aura is different colors, or is that totally unrelated? You know, the, the aura, as we refer to it in the, the spiritual world, um, doesn't necessarily have a, a color. You know, what, what color is the, the feeling of disappointment? What color is the state of hurriedness? So, you know, when we look at things like aura cameras and, and other things, what they're doing is they're using computer algorithms to translate biofeedback like skin galvano response, our heart rate, our breathing rate, and, and other little changes. And they're assigning arbitrary values based on um, cultural context for what color might mean for the, you know, the, the culture that these machines are kind of geared towards. So um, for those of us who are intuitive or psychic and have that sort of clairvoyant ability to see the aura, Certainly, I think that there's a, a parallel between what you perceive and the coherence or incoherence um, on the electromagnetic level. Okay. Um, so let me ask you this. We're talking about, I think we're going to probably talk mostly about crystals, um, but um, what about when you pick up one of these uh, books on stones, and it says, for instance, um, I think I was looking at malachite recently, and uh, you know, malachite is supposed to be good for all of these different things: uh, psychic ability, I think, protection. Um, I, I forget all of them now, but if anybody's ever picked up a book on stones, they know what I'm talking about. Um, do you think there's validity to? Um, you know, these ideas that these particular stones help with, uh, with things like that? Yes and no. You know, I think a lot of the literature that we have about crystals, especially in the day of the Internet age, um, is, is kind of, we'll say, reduced to a very prescriptive state. You know, carry X stone to heal Y condition. And the fundamental problem with that is um, very few conditions in our lives are isolated and exist in a vacuum. And so what might have worked for one person is not necessarily universal. So someone might say that malachite helps them with, um, you know, feeling safe, secure, and protected. Another person might write that, you know, they noticed uh, uh, an improvement in their physical well-being, maybe a reduced pain. Um, another person might write that, you know, malachite was uh, a great stone for kind of finding confidence and self-worth. All of these things might be linked to the common mechanism. When we, when we look at a, a crystal's underlying principle, how it is formed, the ingredients from which it is made, and how those ingredients are arranged in a sort of geometrical fashion, it gives us clues as to the sorts of effects it has on an energetic level. And, you know, those same principles, the same mechanisms applied to two different sets of baggage will produce two different sets of, of effects. Um, so we have to look deeper than just that prescriptive level of carry this stone to make this thing happen. It's, it's always a, a little bit more complicated than that. So I guess a person would have to experiment then. Uh, maybe a, a starting place would be these books that say, well, malachite is good for A, B, and C, but you'd have to see if malachite really uh, did those things for you personally because of our individual makeup. Is, is that what you're saying, I guess? To a certain degree, yes. But I think more important than, than looking at those sort of prescriptive 
descriptions of stones is trying to find what is the thing that caused this effect on that other person. Because if we start looking at the causal level rather than the effect level, then we can start to predict how it's going to influence our own life. So one of the sort of common threads in all of my books on crystals so far has been trying to unravel the how and the why of what a particular mineral or rock might be doing for us. And in my most recent book, Crystal Basics, there's actually an entire chapter that teaches you how to decode what those essential functions of, of any particular rock or mineral species is going to be. Hmm, interesting. Okay. And now when, we, when we're saying crystal, Okay, um, let's let's sort of define crystal because what first comes to mind for me is like quartz, you know. But when you say crystal, um, are you are you talking about um, more than just that kind of clear crystal quartz? A lot of us, you know, are familiar with. Absolutely. So you know, a crystal in, in a scientific sense is defined as a usually solid substance that has a regular composition and a repeating symmetrical um, geometry. So, um, you know, what that means is that crystals are not just simply quartz, but they're any substance that meets all of those requirements. So we have crystals in the body. We have calcium phosphate crystals that give structure and support to our bones. We have sort of quasi-crystals in every membrane of every cell in the form of uh, phospholipids. We also have in your hemoglobin, the, the pigment in our red blood cells that allows them to transport oxygen and nutrients or carry away waste like carbon dioxide um, uh, from every cell. Um, that has a crystalline shape and state to it as well. So, you know, a crystal is not merely um, something in the geological sense, although, you know, certainly my work focuses on that, but the state of crystallinity, that state of coherence um, is found all around us. And, um, you know, a lot of people will use terms like crystal or stone as sort of a catch-all for those beautiful things we get from Mother Earth. Um, but they do have slightly more narrow definitions than that, even though we might not consider that when we speak more, more colloquially about them. Okay. All right. Well, and, and I think, you know, uh, and this is just, you know, my limited uh, knowledge, and I, free, I, I apologize for that. You know, I think of crystals as the, you know, the, you know, the kind of ch uh, translucent or uh, transparent uh, crystalline, I guess, stones, and then the other stones more as gemstones, you know, the, the ones you can't see through, you know, you can't hold them up to the light, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, the, I'm thinking of the ones that are more opaque, uh, if you will, but, um, you know, but I, I think that's just my limited knowledge of, of stones, uh, you know, that's, that's coming out here, so uh, forgive me if I use the wrong terminology uh, here in our, our conversation, and feel free to correct me so listeners get the, um, you know, the most accurate, uh, you know, uh, information from your, from your years of uh, research and study. Um, so I, I guess tell me, you know, what are the fundamental functions, um, you know, employed by crystals that, that sort of encourage healing? Yeah, so, you know, the name of the game here comes back to that idea of coherence. So one of the primary things that crystals do is that they, they allow energy to become more harmonious, more synchronized or coherent. Um, so it, it, can, it can influence our maybe less orderly state of being, whether that's our mind, our body, or spirit, and bring that sense of, of order to it. Um, a side effect of this is that they're also natural amplifiers because coherent systems produce um, electromagnetic fields or signals that, that carry farther. You know, imagine that we use the analogy of sound. If, if you walk into a room where everyone is just sort of muttering, there's a dull roar. You close the, the door, walk away, you don't really hear much um, because that white noise kind of gets dissolved by that barrier. But imagine everyone begins reciting the same script at the same time in, in perfect synchrony that message is going to travel beyond the room. You're going to be able to hear it from down the hall. So that's why we often talk about how crystals amplify things. That's, that's a side effect of making energies or signals or, or um, information more coherent. Crystals are also natural reflectors and refractors, 
They can redirect the focus. They can draw things up to be more visible. So think of them as those proverbial mirrors that shed light on, on the stuff we sweep under the carpet in the back of our mind. Um, they also have the ability to store information or energy. Crystals have memory. Um, they are almost like antennas in that they transmit and receive particular frequencies. And they also help to translate or transduce energies or information from one state into the next. That allows them to kind of maybe take the, the wishes, the dreams, the hopes, the desires we've got on a mental, psychological level and translate it into the, the frequencies, the languages that the universe speaks to help us manifest whatever those inner wishes might be. So, so Nicholas, let me ask you, you know, I, I can't help, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a Virgo skeptic, um, and, you know, that, uh, you know, that's a double-edged sword. Sometimes that's a plus and sometimes that's a minus, uh, especially in things metaphysical or esoteric. Um, you know, what you've just said about the ability of crystals, is that anecdotal or has that been scientifically documented? So all of those particular mechanisms are things that are, are rooted in the physics of crystalline structures. So the fact that they cohere energy and information is, is like the material science. It is something that is, you know, a documented fact that, you know, crystalline structures organize things. That's why we have lasers. Um, you know, the, the corundum crystals, the synthetically grown rubies that are in the heart of, you know, the original lasers, um, take incoherent light and make it more coherent, which is what produces a laser beam. Um, quartz also has the ability um, to polarize light, which means it lines up the sort of north-south, east-west poles of those little packets or photons of light energy. And what we see happening in the material plane is, you know, obviously a, a direct correspondence to the things happening on the immaterial level. So where it, where it coheres energy in the electromagnetic sense, it's also cohering energy in the spiritual sense. The same is true for all of those other mechanisms I've just described. These are, are well-known, documented um, capacities for all crystalline substances, um, whether we're, we're looking at you know, life sciences with organic crystals, whether we're looking in a chemical or crystallographic sense, whether we're looking at things um, you know, from solid-state chemistry. These are the fundamental things that crystals do. Okay, all right. So let me ask you, um, uh, you know, because I, I, I want to get to how we determine what a specific crystal does, but I'm afraid I'm going to forget to ask you this. Um, what's your take on some of uh, the stuff we hear out there about, you know, sacred sites, uh, with you know being built with quartz stone, uh, and you know uh, how that may have affected you know our uh, you know our ancient ancestors' um, rituals or psyches or uh, or stuff like that. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I know that this is a, maybe a parallel subject rather than what you've actually written about, but do you have any hypothesis or theories? Absolutely. And, you know, it's not limited to quartz because, because all rock, for the most part, is made out of different crystalline structures. All rock will exhibit these same fundamental properties. Um, and though a lot of megalithic sites are made from quartz-rich stones, they don't necessarily have to be rich in quartz to exhibit the ability to um, cohere, amplify, store, send, receive, reflect, refract, translate, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but I think that there is this draw towards stone because it, it is so, you know, primal and visceral. It's our original tool, our first shelter. It is our, our first teacher in the mysteries of the universe. And because it has all of these wonderful measurable properties as well as those things we can't measure, the, the woo-woo energy, energy with a capital E, if you will, um, you know, these sorts of sacred sites made from stone work on a really big scale to fulfill all of these functions. Um, there was a, a solid-state chemist and a material scientist um, by the name of, I think, Don Robbins, who wrote a great book in the 1980s called The Secret Language of Stone, where he explores how the sort of crystallinity of megalithic structures um, acts as a, a sort of recording device, if you will, and by, by interacting with those sites, usually in the form of sound or vibration, we can kind of release the stored imprints that are within them, um, you know, like the playback feature on a, on a you know, cassette recorder or something along those lines. So um, I, think, I think that there are some really great models for understanding 
how these sites might work on a theoretical level, but of course we haven't quite built the, um, the technology that can prove or disprove these theories yet. Well, that would be pretty incredible if these uh, stones are actually repositories uh, for information that uh, if we had the technology that, some, that we could uh, at some point play it back, if you will. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, th that would be the next step, right? For sure. And, and I think that our minds, our spirits, our souls, they are the technology necessary for unlocking that information because essentially that is the same technology that was used to in install that information in those devices, in those stones in the first place. But the secret here is that we can only retrieve information on the same wavelength that was used to store it. So we have to get into the same state of consciousness, the same sort of ritualized state of being in order to access or retrieve that information. And of course, when we're in that sort of altered state of consciousness, um, things come to us in the form of symbol and metaphor. So there are no absolutes in this realm, and we, we have to be willing to get into that sort of messy, touchy-feely, woo-woo kind of space in order to have those authentic spiritual experiences that are, that are rooted in this practice. Hmm. Well, that would mean then, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, that's fine with me, that it's not like a piece of technology is going to one day decipher uh, the information stored in the stone. It's going to be um, our subconscious, uh, but then that sort of leaves interpretation pretty subjective, though, doesn't it? It wouldn't be absolute, so to speak. I think you're probably very correct on that. And, you know, the, the nature of spiritual truth is that we, we cannot, while we exist in a relative world, fundamentally have an absolute experience. Um, you know, there, there are teachings about the relative versus the absolute, and so long as we live in a, a world that is material, it is relative. We, we understand us and the world around us by its relationship. In the absolute world, there is only the sense of being. So those, those spiritual energies, those imprints, those memories are encoded because of absolute reality. But here we are in the material plane in a relative world. It's always going to be kind of, um, we'll say, biased by or colored by uh, our own subjectivity. It's just the nature of the beast. Right, right. But it, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, you know, uh, it, it would be wonderful if somehow we could just uh, play back what's stored there and it could, uh, you know, it could be a history teacher. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it wouldn't be that simple. Maybe one day we'll figure it out. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to the crystals. Um, so how do we determine what a specific crystal does? By and large, if we start to examine how it forms, what it's made from, and the way those ingredients are arranged, we start to get a picture of the sort of, um, let's say, energy patterns that are present in the stone, which gives us clues as to the effects it has in a more therapeutic context. So, you know, let's say we take... A, a stone like mm, rhodonite, which is one of my favorites. It is a manganese silicate. If we look at the, the energy of manganese, um, manganese minerals tend to be associated with emotional well-being. It's a fairly grounding and anchoring kind of stone, especially at that psychological level. Um, manganese can help us to feel more safe and secure. Silicate minerals are, are, have a, a silica-based silicon and oxygen, and they have this very expansive kind of energy to them. They tend to sort of magnify the effects of other minerals that are present. Um, so we're, we already know that we're looking at this sort of strengthening, grounding energy within a stone like rhodonite. And from there, what we see is that um, it's formed by metamorphic processes through change and transition. That translates to our lives by helping us weather the storms of change and transition that show up. Um, and as a triclinic mineral, it's a, an amazing stone for reinvention. When we start to add these things together, it paints a picture of what this crystal does. It can really help us thrive under, um, you know, really unusual circumstances. You, you could say rhodonite might be a great stone to turn to in today's world um, by providing emotional comfort and stability in those changing times. 
Okay. And so now color. Uh, does color um, have anything to do with the crystal's energy? And um, can you relate it at all to the, you know, how we give the chakra system colors? To a degree, yes. Mineral color does impart um, a, a quality to its energy. But um, one of my great teachers in the world of crystal healers, she's the, the co-author of the Book of Stones, Samaya Astor, formerly called Naisha Azian, um, she, she looks at the physics of color, and color only accounts for about one fourteenth. That's approximately 7% of a stone's energy. Um, furthermore, when we look at, like, the Western chakra system as we know and love it today, that, that order of colors, that sequence of red, orange, yellow, green, and so on and so forth, only dates back to about 1977. So, you know, a 43-year-old model versus uh, a practice of working with crystals that may extend 450,000 years back into prehistory. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, less inclined to use a model that's 43-year-old, 43 years old, rather than just to go out and have the experience of the stones themselves. Yeah, and I was speaking to someone recently that said, uh, I think the chakra system that we recognize here uh, in the West, um, you know, it's only one version that if you go to India, there's multiple versions with many more chakras. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm, you know, agreeing with you that, uh, um, you know, there's – it's – we're only looking at at a very small uh, element uh, of the chakra system, you know, uh, through a very narrow lens. I guess that's what I'm really trying to say, where the chakra system is probably a lot more complex than than most of us realize. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you know, what we think of as, as what a chakra is today is not necessarily what it meant in you know, the, the Vedic teachings of, of India several hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. Um, you know, the concept of a chakra is more like a, um, a signpost, a gateway on the path towards self-actualization and that the, the places in the body that those, those signposts corresponded to just happened to be really auspicious places for your practice where you could essentially recite mantras and download or install the, the themes, the meanings, the energies associated with particular elements or deities. So they were never really thought of as etheric organs in the sense that we do today. And, you know, here's the beautiful thing. Both of these things, both of these ideas or concepts are just models. Um, it's, it's important to recognize they are models and not the reality itself. We can't confuse the map for the territory here. So, you know, I can, I can place my finger anywhere I want to on a map but I'm not magically transported to that place. It is a model for understanding the relationship between things. You have to physically travel to understand the territory, to go there. And it's the same with our, our etheric anatomy. Any of these models we use are, are just that. They're models. They help us understand that you have to go out and have the, the visceral experience on your own to really get to know your own energy anatomy. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that that reminds me of a saying of mine. Uh, you know, the, it's kind of the difference between reading a recipe versus tasting the stew uh, of that recipe. You know, uh, I I totally get that. Um, okay, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a break uh, here for uh, just a minute, and uh, when we come back, Nicholas, um, I want to uh, get a little bit more into the practical use of the stones. Um, uh, you know, cleansing, and um, you know, I you believe you can build a relationship with the stones. I want you to tell us why uh, we can do that, and you know, just some basic ways to incorporate crystals into our life. Uh, but first, um, uh, I want to play for listeners something from a review of Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods 
reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Farifaria's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Farifaria. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Farifaria website at farifaria.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So just to clarify, Joe Carson's lovely book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only at farifaria.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. Uh, and pretty soon we're going to have Joe Carson on the show uh, to talk a bit about uh, farifaria, uh, but that's in the weeks ahead. So uh, let's get back to today's show. I'm with uh, Nicholas Pearson, and uh, we're talking about his books, Crystal Basics and Stones of the Goddess. Uh, we're still kind of on the crystal subject, but uh, we're going to save some time <coughs> excuse me, to talk about goddess stones. Um, so, Nicholas, um, you know, we I, I, at least, you know, growing up, I've heard about, you know, you can cleanse your stones by putting them out under the light of a full moon, that sort of thing. Um, is that the way you cleanse crystals? Um, uh, you know, is it important to cleanse crystals? Uh, I mean, how do you do it if you feel it's important? You know, he gathered together a group of 20 different crystal lovers and asked them to, to name their favorite way or ways to cleanse crystals. You'd probably get 50 different answers. Um, so surely moonlight is one of those methods, but there are lots of others that are a little bit more practical than, than only being able to use the full moon once a month. Imagine only washing your hands or, or your underwear or socks once a month. Um, I think it's really important to cleanse our crystals because like in, in all sort of magical metaphysical practices, um, our psychic hygiene is pivotal to our well-being and our success. Um, if crystals, all crystal structures, have the ability to record information, they have memory, well, it stands to reason that not every single energy they encounter as we go about our day is necessarily in alignment with our goal or intention for using that stone. So we want to wipe the slate clean and, you know, start fresh and, and just project that particular energy that we want in our day. And that's why we cleanse. Um, some of my favorite ways to cleanse are um, a little bit easier. Things like sound and, and sacred smoke are, are pretty easy to use and safe for all crystals. Um, I love to use the breath because it requires no props. And, I mean, if you, if you have a stone that is too delicate to breathe upon, you're not probably going to use it in your, your practice anyway. It might sit behind glass on a shelf somewhere and look beautiful. Um, but it wouldn't be one you'd stuff in your pocket or, or lay on a client. Um, but you could use things like sunlight or moonlight. You could use water or salt. You can bury in the earth. Um, the challenge with some of these methods is that certain stones bleach in sunlight are damaged by water, can be scratched by salt. So we really have to know our, our, a little bit of mineral science here to know about the relative hardness or softness of the stone. We need to know how its um, chemical composition is going to interact with water. And so that's why I favor things like breath, smoke, and sound, because they're safe for all of our stones. Okay. All right. Well, you know, you're making me think about stuff I have around the house that I really probably have to pay more attention to. Um, you know, I picked up in the Grand Canyon uh, from a gem store uh, one of these magnificent sort of geodes. You know, it's about, I don't know, a foot high. It's incredibly heavy. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 30 or 40 pounds. And on the inside, it's got these purplish um, uh uh, crystals, I'm going to call them, I guess, reminds me of amethyst. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, um, what would you, you know, what do you think about something like that? I mean, does it, uh, is it, you know, doing something in my house to uh, make the place uh, healthier, more harmonious, and maybe I don't even know? Um, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious if, if you have any idea what a, 
a stone like that would, um, you know, what, what its value might be. I mean, it definitely sounds like a, an amethyst vague or, or, or geode. A vague is a, a hollow cavity in rock that's lined with crystal. Um, you know, those big amethyst pieces are, are found in lots of parts of South America as well as a few other places around the world. So they're, they're pretty, pretty common on the market today. So um, easy access. Amethyst is such a wonderful stone because it does have this sort of harmonizing, uplifting energy when we place it in our environment. Um, amethyst is one of those stones that's been regarded as sacred, you know, since the dawn of time practically. It is a variety of quartz, so all of the same sort of basic fundamental energies that quartz has, amethyst can do as well. But there's a, a little trace amount of iron in there that, that changes the color and uh, a unique kind of structural twist, if you will, that, that allows that iron to fit in, in the lattice, fit in its structure where it otherwise would not. So that's what gives amethyst kind of a distinct quality from other forms of quartz. Um, having them in our environment does offer some sort of passive effect. Um, you know, they're there, they're anchoring the energy that they, they bring into our space, but um, I think that they benefit from regular cleansing, just like every other thing in our house benefits from regular cleansing, whether that's, you know, physical dusting or, or spiritual clear, cleaning. Okay, okay, thanks. Um, so it, it sounds like it, uh, it's definitely a plus to have it around. Um, so, uh, so tell me, what are five maybe essential crystals that uh, we would want to have in our healing toolkit? For starters, anything in the quartz family, whether that's clear quartz or smoky quartz or amethyst or citrine or rose quartz, um, there's so many options for you in the world of quartz. And if you've got an assortment of even just clear quartz points, you can make uh, a, a lot of different applications out of them. You can create crystal grids. You can lay them on the body. You can, of course, use them to meditate or, or place them around your, your sacred space to enhance the energies they're in. Um, and another really great one that I think would be uh, lithidolite or any other lithium-rich mineral. Um, so lithidolite is a stone that's associated with themes of surrender and acceptance. It's really wonderful for imparting a sense of emotional flexibility. It is a member of the mica group, and there's a sort of like a, a, a mechanical plasticity to these crystals. That means that to a certain degree, you can bend them, and they will return to their original shape. Um, it's not very much, but it's, it's more than your average crystal. So even those really densely packed crystals of lipidolite that form together in big masses on an individual level, on a micro level, they all have that flexibility, and they, they give us that same sense of flexibility also. Um, another crystal that I think is great to have because it, it does so many different jobs is aquamarine. Aquamarine is a gemstone that works at the physical, the psychological, the spiritual, even the karmic level. Um, one of its primary goals is one of release. But by, by releasing, by letting go and kind of clearing out the, the cosmic crud, if you will, it makes space for the light of our soul to shine through. And that's something that's going to influence us on every level of our well-being. Um, another thing I think that is really, really well suited to today's day and age would be shungite. Shungite is a, a very evolutionary stone. It's mostly made out of carbon. Um, it's a very, very ancient rock that's found in Karelia and Russia. And it helps to filter out harmful electromagnetic frequencies. It is a wonderful stone for, like, gently grounding us. So many of us who are maybe sensitive to, to spiritual energies don't always appreciate being very firmly grounded. It's almost as if you're dragging an anchor around with you. And Shungite's not like that. When it comes to grounding, Shungite is that gentle tap on the shoulder that just quietly reminds you and says, hey, have you grounded recently? Would you like to? All right, let's do that together, rather than forcing you down. Um, those are a handful of stones that I think are really great to have in your toolkit, but ultimately the best stones to go in your toolbox are the stones that speak to you most directly, most clearly, and that you have that fundamental relationship with. And, and well, you say the relationship with. Um, you know, someone might say, well, gee, that's kind of an odd uh, premise, I guess. Um, you know, how do you develop uh, or build a relationship with stones? Fundamentally, we are in relationship with everything all around us. It's just a matter of whether or not that relationship is conscious. Um, you are in relation to the floor beneath you. You are in relation to the ceiling above you. Any place we can insert a preposition, to, to denote the, the, the sort of relational 
existence of two things, there is relationship. So we have a relationship to the mineral kingdom even when we don't recognize it. So cultivating a conscious relationship means being mindful of the influence of stones in your life. Instead of just saying, all right, I read that citrine is great for money. I'm going to put a piece in my, my wallet or purse and then forget it exists. There's no conscious relationship there. The, the, the kind of relationship that I encourage um, with the mineral kingdom is one that is founded in maybe a more meditative approach to working with stones. The first thing, the best thing you can do if you're just getting started is to shut off the phone, find some nice natural light, and sit with that stone in natural light and just marvel over its beauty. Um, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to get to know what your stone is physically like how it feels, what it looks like, what are the angles, what is it like on the inside. And that is good because it, it kind of helps you recognize the, the tangible qualities of a stone. Many of those things are clues to the intangible qualities of a stone. The second benefit from doing this is while your conscious mind is distracted, your, your, your deeper consciousness, whether we call it the superconsciousness, the subconscious, the unconscious, whatever model we're using, that's able to have a direct conversation with the stone below that conscious level so that we are, we are having some sort of energetic exchange take place. And once we do this on a regular basis with our stones, it kind of opens the door to be more sensitive to their energies, whether that's in a, a palpable kind of sense or even just an inner knowing. Um, and it, it also paves the way for um, other kinds of applications, more, maybe more precise meditative focuses, using them as grids, using them in a more therapeutic sense. But it, it all starts from getting to know your stone. Well, um, well, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, um, you know, eight weeks ago, I would not have imagined having the time to do that, but uh, I think we all have a lot, a lot more time right now, so uh, we just as well uh, make good use of it and, uh, and, you know, maybe start doing some things like this and, uh, you know, see the benefits, uh, you know, reap the benefits of it. Um, well, Nicholas, uh, I wanted to say a little bit more about your book, Crystal Basics, and then I want to jump over to Stones of the Goddess. Uh, so for folks that are listening, uh, Crystal Basics, it's a full-color practical handbook of essential techniques uh, with an in-depth directory of healing stones. It offers guidance on selecting your crystals and gemstones and step-by-step instructions on how to cleanse, charge, activate, and program them, because uh, we certainly can't get into all of that in uh, the short interview. Uh, it includes templates for crystal grids and healing layouts, uh, recipes for crystal elixirs, directions for crystal meditations, and energy clearing with crystals. Um, also, the full uh, color directory includes 200 different rocks, minerals, gemstones, uh, crystal formations uh, organized alphabetically and featuring the physical, psychological, and spiritual healing qualities for every stone. Uh, this, it's an in-depth, easy-to-follow guide, and uh, wow, it definitely sounds like uh, something you need on your library shelves. Um, so you want to uh, you know, go look for this. Um, but let's uh, you know let's uh, flip over to your other book, uh, Stones of the Goddess. Nicholas, what makes a stone? I mean, uh, you know, because someone would say, well, goddess is Gaia, she is the earth. Um, but what makes specifically a goddess stone? Uh, wouldn't all stones be stones of the goddess? I mean, how are you defining stones of the goddess? Well, I mean, right there in, in the intro of the book, that's, that's exactly the premise that I make, that when we hold a, a stone, a rock, whether it's the, the finest quality gemstone or, you know, a common, common piece of rock you find in your garden, what we are holding is part and parcel of the body of Mother Earth. All stones are inherently connected to the divine feminine for that nature. Um, but in a slightly more specific sense, there is a very large body of mythic lore, of folklore, of um, you know, spiritual legend and tale that links specific rocks and minerals to specific aspects of the goddess. You know, we have things like um, emeralds, which are associated with um, the, the goddess Venus or Aphrodite. We have lapis lazuli, which is associated with a wide host of, of goddesses. We have so much lore that connects us to specific stones and specific goddesses, but it was really kind of looking at those correspondences that this book emerged. And 
I, I always kind of look to marry the old and the new in, in my work. So starting with that more, uh, we'll say, historic background, I wanted to look at stones that were maybe not available centuries ago or millennia ago and start to look at how the sort of metaphysical um, crystal healing community looks at how crystals interact with the energy, the concept, the themes of the divine feminine. And so the book has a directory of over 100 stones, both old and new, that link us to that, that beautiful current of the sacred feminine. Well, um, I'm particularly drawn to the goddess Isis and the lion-headed Egyptian goddess Sekhmet. Um, and I know I'm just asking you this off the top of your head, uh, but uh, do you recall any stones that might be associated with either of those two goddesses? Oh, for sure. There, there are so many that are connected to Isis. So we'll just highlight a couple. One of them is carnelian. And in ancient Egypt, the finest carnelians were actually known by the title as the blood of Isis. Um, there are also a couple specific quartz formations. These come from the sort of, we'll say, modern metaphysical world um, that are intrinsically linked to the goddess Isis because of their geometry or, or for other reasons. Um, so one is called the Isis crystal, and another one is sometimes called the veil of Isis crystal. They're also called blue smoke, Lemurian crystal. Um, but more traditional lore also links things like star sapphire, lapis lazuli, some ordinary sapphires, forms of beryl, um, green and red jasper, even moonstone and pearl to the goddess Isis. Um, Sekhmet has this sort of fiercer face to her, a little bit more of a, a warrior goddess. And so we find maybe a little bit more fiery stones associated with her, chiefly tiger's eye, ruby, and bloodstone. Um, but you'll find a handful of other stones that are associated with Sekhmet in both traditional and, and modern lore. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, whether we're talking about stones of the goddess or we're talking about crystals, um, and, and maybe this varies from one person to another and there's not an absolute answer, I, um, but if someone wanted to use a stone um, uh, to de- develop their psychic abilities, what, can you recommend a stone? Would there be a universal stone that they could go to? I think depending on what our obstacles to, to getting a clearer psychic vision are, um, the answer is going to vary. But there are some, some common stones that I think many people find are helpful in this arena. One of them is amethyst. And this is often associated with the seventh ray, which is the ray of alchemy, of transmutation. It kind of lifts us up to a new level of consciousness, a very spiritualizing kind of stone. Moonstone, which is said to sort of peel back the veil between the worlds. Um, is an excellent stone for developing, um, you know, better better psychic information and guidance. Danbarite is also one of my favorites for this. Danbarite for me is a stone that helps me kind of tap into that ecology of spirit that's all around us to learn to listen to our guides, our helpers and spirits, our allies that are not in physical form. Um, but there are so many others, things like lapis lazuli, things like just good old-fashioned quartz, mepidolite, fluorite, um, there's going to be a, a different stone for a different person, but, you know, start with what you're attracted to and kind of move out from there. And sometimes it's the stones that we okay. have an aversion to that can be our, our deepest teachers. Okay, wonderful. Um, well, Nick, uh, we're, uh, Nicholas, we're getting toward the end of the interview here. Um, is there anything I haven't thought to ask you uh, that you believe might be important for listeners to know about uh, this topic? You know, it, it's hard to do justice to the divine feminine in, in, in so few words. So, um, you know, I, I hope uh, listeners might pardon our brevity here. But, um, you know, it's, it's a, a matter that's near and dear to my heart because I think that our, our world can be um, at least helped, maybe not healed all in one fell swoop. It can certainly be helped by the acknowledgement of the, the divine feminine, the return to, to balance and equilibrium between those those opposite poles of divine feminine, divine masculine, of the god and the goddess. Um, and it's my hope that by returning to these sort of primal cells in the body of the goddess, of working with the crystals, the rocks, the gems, the minerals, um, we can catalyze that process of healing and awakening on, on our planet. Wonderful, wonderful. And, you know, um, uh, 
I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I almost hesitated to say, but um, I'll, I'll just say it anyway. You know, I, it feels like, at least from where we all sit right now, um, there's going to be a new normal on the other side of this. And um, it feels like to me that, uh, you know, maybe we will have more space in our lives for, um, you know, delving into these sorts of things, uh, making these sorts of things uh, more at the center of our life uh, rather than, um, you know, you know, not you know more. You know, put these things more at the core of our life, uh, as opposed to um, you know uh, arm's length. Uh, you know, because we simply don't have the time. I don't know. I'm just uh, jibber jabbering here, but the thought uh, the thought occurred to me that um, you know maybe you know we can turn um, you know lemons into lemonade and. Uh, um, you know, really take this time that we have on our hands to uh, explore things that can enhance our lives like this. I I very much hold that same vision with you. All right. Um, so let's just repeat here. Um, I've been speaking to Nicholas Pearson, uh, and he has his newest book out, uh, Crystal Basics, uh, put out by Inner Traditions. And he also released last year, uh, Stones of the Goddess. And his website is voluminouspearl.com, uh, with a lovely name. I like that a lot. Um, Nicholas, thank you so much uh, for all the information uh, you've shared today. Um, uh, I, this is, uh, it, it's been wonderful and uh, it really makes me feel like I want to take the time uh, <clears throat> to go delve into your book and uh, surround myself with uh, you know with some of these stones you know that maybe I've kind of been using as you know decoration on a shelf uh, but instead um, you know put it to better use well thank you so much for having me on the show and I, I hope your mineral friends support you on your everyday journey Thank you very much. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I'd like to share with listeners today, um, uh, you know, I have come to be aware of uh, a woman uh, who uh, she has a company on Facebook. Uh, well, I'm, you know, call it a company. She's a one-person, um, you know, an extraordinary one-person entrepreneur, if you will. Uh, she started a, a new business out of her home uh, this year. And uh, I, if, I hope I have the name right. It's called Ajermana. And uh, she makes these incredible necklaces and bracelets um, using particular stones uh, that, she, you know, she's a, um, a intuitive as well. Uh, she uses particular stones that she believes will, um, will help your state of being, you know, whatever that is. You know, if you need healing, if you need uh, help with your intuitive abilities, if you, uh, you know, whatever it is you need help with, um, she kind of intuits what stone might, uh, might work for you. Uh, you can find her on Facebook, uh, Ajurmana. I believe it might be spelled A-Z-U-R-A-M-A-N-A. Um, if you can't find her, uh, please feel free to contact me personally. I'll put you in touch. Uh, she's actually making a beautiful necklace for me right now, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, to seeing how that uh, maybe enhances my state of being uh, and my life. And I want to, uh, you know, give a shout out to uh, Nicholas Pearson and the folks over at Inner Traditions that connected us so we could uh, chat today about uh, crystals and gemstones. Um, well, uh, just one last thing uh, before you go. Um, I'd like to share with you uh, a clip from Serena Roney Dougal uh, in Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. tell you about Joe Carson's film Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film 
Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page color booklet which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20 and you can get it from dancingwithgaia.com. Um, so, Dancing with Gaia is available only, uh, as uh, they said, uh, dancingwithgaia.com. So, uh, just uh, kind of a quick little uh, recap of the coming shows. Um, I will be back with you on Sunday. Um, I am going to be offering uh, my monthly um, uh uh, offerings of inspirational uh, messages and meditations uh, from my book, God is Calling. And this Sunday, which happens to be Easter or Ostara for many of us, uh, you know, we're in the season of Ostara, um, the topic is going to be balance in all things. And uh, I'll share that from my God is Calling book as well as a meditation. Uh, then the following uh, week on the 19th, uh, Sunday, I'll have with me Norman D. Ellis. She has a new book out, uh, Hieroglyphic Magic, Oracles and Dreams. Uh, that's our topic. And uh, then the, we, we're going to have a big double feature on the weekend of April 25th and 26th. Uh, Laura Perry is going to be uh, calling in both days. We're going to have a two-part um, double feature on uh, exploring trance. Uh, trance channeling, uh, drawing down the moon, uh, that sort of thing. Um, on Saturday uh, at 5 o'clock Pacific, uh, we're going to start at the beginning with exploring trance, the hidden depths of the human mind. Then on Sunday, we do part two, uh, trance and trance possession and pagan spiritual practice. Uh, we were talking about uh, those things uh, seem to have been neglected in contemporary spiritual practice, maybe because uh, of our unconscious fear of uh, channeling the energies of deity uh, that Judeo-Christianity uh, has implanted in our head. Uh, so anyway, we're going to talk a lot about all of that, and I think it's going to be an interesting weekend. So uh, please um, uh, mark your calendars um, for Sunday at uh, 11 a.m., uh, then again the following Sunday, the 19th, at 11 a.m., and then on the weekend, uh, April 25th and 26th, uh, we will be doing those at, uh, at 5 p.m., and all the times uh, or uh, Pacific time. And lots of uh, more great stuff coming uh, up uh, in the month of May and June. Uh, I'm working hard on getting some great guests uh, that I think uh, you will find uh, most enjoyable. Um, okay. Uh, that about does it for me today. Again, uh, thank you very much for your feedback about how important the show is. Um, if, I know things are difficult at this time uh, for all of us, but if this is a spring that feeds you, as uh, they say, uh, please go to my website, uh, karentate.net. There is uh, a donation button there if you'd like to make a contribution or a donation uh, to the show. You can use a PayPal button and make a contribution um, of any amount and it does help me pay for the airtime here on Blog Talk to be able to continue to bring me uh, bring you these great guests um, you know every week and sometimes uh, more than weekly uh, as we're all sheltered in. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, please have a great weekend. Uh, stay safe, stay in, um, and uh, I will be back with you on Sunday. Uh, all right then, goodbye for today. Happy Friday.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.